0: Um, Hopefully you've had enough time to download the app so that we can kind of just jump right in. I'm really excited about this series. It's called Gears, the five gears, and it's about learning to live a healthier life. And so today we're talking about what happens if you can't find the right gear. We're talking about the speed of life. And You know how sometimes you feel like you're either moving too fast or you're moving too slow and you feel stuck? That's not a good feeling. Because if you can't find the right gear in life, you either crash or you get stuck. And I know this because when I was 18 years old, I got a semi-truck stuck on a bridge. Now, I'm not trained in driving semi-trucks. I grew up on a farm. I grew up in rural Missouri. And I drove a lot of tractors. I drove a lot of equipment. But I never drove a semi-truck. And if you know about semi-trucks, who's who's my semi-truck drivers? I know I got people in here. Angela, you drove a semi truck? That's awesome. Who else? Who's my semi truck? There, there. Anybody else drive a truck? Back there. Like, I grew up comfortable on equipment. I grew up comfortable on tractors. I farmed. Um, during my high school career, I had a cousin and I farmed for him. It's what I do. By farm, I mainly ma- mean like mow, mow grass. <laughs> I mowed a lot of pastures, <laughs> a lot of circular motion. But one of the jobs I had was my cousin, his older cousin. We had these grain bins. Um, right off of 116, I'm trying to think directionally right now, 116 and 169, right there at the corner by Dennis Need Ford. There's some grain bins there if you've ever been up towards Buchanan and Clinton County. And so my job was when these big old semi-trucks would come in, they'd have big loads of grain in it, and so what they would do is we'd un- unravel the bottom, unscrew the bottom, and all the grain would go out and go into the floor of these grain bids, And there'd be these big augers that catch that grain. And then that grain gets put in some tubes and it goes up. And that's how they get into the silos. If you've ever seen those big trucks going down the hallway with that grain, that's how it works. You go to the field, you get your combine, you harvest it, you put it in these big giant semis. And then the semis, they go to the silos. And then the silos, you dump all that grain out from the bottom, and my job was basically to make sure nothing got plugged up because all that grain, all that tons of grain just flowing, flowing, flowing. If there was a clog in the system, something like that, it would just pile up, pile up. But there was a day, like I said, I'd grown up on equipment tractors, but I'd never driven a semi, but my cousin called me and said, hey, I need you to get this empty truck over here from about Gower all the way past Lathrop, and I'd never driven a semi before never driven a semi. I didn't want to drive a semi. I said, Dirk, man, I can't do this. (laughs) Like, this is big. This is scary. I can't do this. And he said, sure you can. Sure you can do this. I was like, dude, I don't want to do this. He's like, oh, it's going to be fine. You've grown up on it. And so I start my career there. And it's the only time I've ever done it. But I get in that cab and I start driving that truck. And the thing about using semis, it's a different level it's like a whole different level. And I don't know if it's true for every semi. Maybe you guys can come correct me during my message here after I'm done. But what I found out is, is when you're driving a semi, you can't lose the gear. Because if you am I right, you're nodding your head. Okay, if you lose, they're all smirking right now because they know where this story's going. Anybody who's driving a truck knows where this story's going. If you lose the gear, it just you have to start all over again. You have to come to a complete stop. How many people right now still have a manual transition? Yeah, right there, Roy. I know. I was behind you at Starbucks today. I saw you there. <laughs> Who else drives a manual transmission? Who? All right. I, I'm, this is going to be a little. Im- I don't want this to be embarrassing, but I would love you. Who doesn't know? Who's never driven a manual transition? Would you be afraid? Raise your hand. It's okay. Don't. You don't need to. We got. Adam, we got self-driving cars coming our way, right? Like you don't need to know even how to drive anymore. Oh my gosh, I just saw an Instagram video the other day. Sorry, I'm tangenting, but I've got time for it today. So. Uh, of a surprise uber that was a driverless car that picked up a bunch of octogenarians and they had no idea that it was going to be a self-driving car and they got in it so anyways if you've never driven a manual it's hard it's super you got to you got to learn we used to say it growing up if you can't find them grind, grind them if you can't find them grind them that's how you're going to do it so i and i knew that so I knew how important, but, but I, just, I just didn't know that as I'm driving the semi from Gower to Lathrop, Missouri, that if you lose the gear, and what I mean by lose the gear is, is as you're shifting, you're going from one to two, to three to four. There's different gears in that transmission. The internal way that whole uh, transmission and the parts and uh, the, you know, the internal pieces of this machine is built is these gears have to catch each other. They've got to be in sync. And so that's what you're doing. Your automatic is doing that automatically for you. It's registering the RPMs. There's a whole world of like uh, going on inside of an automatic transition that we're not even aware of. But if you're doing the manuals, you got to go to three to four, and five to six, and then you get up there into these semi-trucks, seven to eight, and then high to low. So there's a lot of moving parts. And if you miss that linkage, if you lose it, you got to start all over again. You go to zero, and you have to come to a complete stop before you can move forward again. And so I'm driving this. I get past Plattsburgh. I'm headed uh, east on 116, and I'm coming down on a bridge. And there, I know you don't know this, but let me visualize it for you. Between Some of you might know this. Between Plattsburgh and Lathrop. Back when I was in high school, or 18, there was a little bridge. Like, it's, it was, it's, not even, it's a two-lane highway, but it was like a 1.25-car bridge. Like, two cars, you know, two cars couldn't even go through it at the same time. It's going, it was going downhill, and it goes over this little river and around the corner. And so not even two cars could pass on this bridge at the same time. They've redone it by now. But back when I was driving the semi, uh-uh. And so here I am trying to go downhill, trying to, and even when you're in a semi, here's another, another tip, you don't really use the brakes to slow down, downshift, you have to be able to downshift, you have to hit that gear, because if you try, you try and hit the brakes with all that momentum, you're going to burn, your, burn up your brakes, you're not going to have any brakes, the brakes can't even stop you. <laughs> so being able to downshift is the only way you can even stop and I was going and I was downshifting okay, but I get to that bridge, I get right where I'm supposed to be going up, right where I'm supposed to use my momentum to carry me back up that hill and around the corner where I can't see if cars are coming or not, I miss my upshift, I miss my gear. And so all I could do was let my momentum on that hill carry me to a complete stop. (laughs) stuck in the middle of this bridge with a semi-truck. There were even like construction workers there that day. Like they're like getting ready to read to the bridge. And they're like, what's this guy doing? And it's like, I don't know either. Both of us know I shouldn't be doing this right now. Like both of us know this is not normal. Okay. And all I had to do, all I could do was just look at him and be like, sorry, just hold on. Come to a complete stop. They're looking at me. Cars are piling up behind me. Cars, you know, there's a whole corner that I can't even see who's coming at me. I can't move forward. I can't go backwards. I'm just stuck, and I have to slowly find gear one again, and gear, you know, just uphill the whole time. And it was just such an embarrassing moment for me. You know, I, I remember it now because it was terrifying. Don't you have those terrifying events that you can't forget? Like that was terrifying for me. I would never do that again. But I find. It's an experience that I still have often. Though I don't drive a semi-truck, and please, Lord, never again do I have to, I'm still thrust in these experiences where I am forced to level up, right? Where I'm forced to gear up through parenting, through uh, suffering, through trials. And I think you're probably in some of those experiences too. Like, you get thrust into situations You didn't see coming that somebody asked you to do something, it's just forced upon you. You're just thrust into these situations where you don't yet have the skills to be proficient at whatever you got, whatever mess you've got to get through. And you feel you feel stuck. You feel like you got no track. Like, how do I how am I gonna get through this? And so that's what these gears are about. That's what this whole series is gonna be about. Just this idea that um, inside of us, we need different gears for different jobs or different gears for relational capacity. There are different modes of operation we need to live in when we're present with family or friends or we're at work or we're by ourselves and we just need to unplug. You know, I was thinking about how um, growing up learning that manual transition, we say, if you can't find them, grind them. Grinding used to be a bad thing. Like grinding's not good. Grinding means what? Something's being pulverized, right? Like like that was like the whole concept of of, when when the gears grind in a transmission, especially, you know, that sound, it means there's chips of metal flying off inside of everything. But have you noticed that there's kind of this growing value of grind culture? Just grind through it. Just grind. How did that happen? How did grind become something that was universally recognized as not being healthy become something that we almost kind of put on a pedestal? Man, that guy knows how to grind. They're, man, they're just grinding. And so we want to be like that. Is that healthy? And if not, what is? And so today, as we look at gear one, we're going to talk about gear, like they're going to be sequential, gear one, gear two, gear three, gear four, gear five, as we go through these five weeks. Today, we're looking about gear one, which is all about shifting into peace. It's all about finding inner peace. And I just want to get us a working definition of peace right now. So you can put up a slide. Let's just get a working definition that we can all kind of say, like, for today, at least, our definition of peace is a sense of rest on the inside no matter what is going on on the outside. Okay, I want you to think about it like that. I want you to think about peace as a sense of rest, a sense of stability on your inside, no matter what's going on on the outside. And what I would love for you to do right now is gut instinct reaction, okay? If you had to guess between 1 and 100, what is your peace number? 100 is like Zen. Like, we're all going to, like, be in worship of you. <laughs> like, like, how do you do it, man? Zero is like, come here, let me give you a hug, okay? Like, but right now, I want you to think about, if you had to pick on a scale of 1 to 100, what would your level of peace be? And then what I want you to do is go to that section in the app that we talked about where, where it says right here, this is a live poll, what's your level of inner peace, all right? I could hum for you if that makes it easier, I don't know music. Do something like that. So I'm going to give you about 20-ish seconds here, maybe 30 seconds. Pull up the app. Go to that live poll of what's your inner peace. And basically, we've kind of broken it down into some categories, right? I don't have, trust me, I did not put a hundred different multiple choice questions in this thing. So you might be 1 to 20. You might be 21 to 40, 41 to 60. You get it? But I, w- I just want to kind of take, take that poll. We're just doing some kind of broad brushstroke Real time evaluation, okay? Keep going. About 10 seconds. Five, four, three. Keep voting, keep voting. All right, I'm gonna put mine in. And I wanna see, this is how we understand peace right now in our room, okay? You can actually see the results of everybody if you log in. And if you aren't logged in, look, at, look off somebody next to you. You can see in this room right now where our level of peace is. And so right now, about 30% of us, or I'll start at the top. About 20% of the people in this room right now would say they are in the top inner peace range, okay? 20% would be in the top inner peace range, 81 to 100. About 30% would say their level of inner peace is in that second range from the top. So that's 61 to 80. We have about 30% of people would be that. And then we have another 30%. That would be right in that middle category. Right in that middle category. Thank you for being honest. And then I just want to look at these bottom two. Another 20%. Your piece you registered was sub 40. So I just want to take a second here to recognize, you know what, if you're in one of those upper categories, let's just be thankful, right? Maybe it's just to take a moment here to think about if my inner peace is in one of those, maybe the top half, maybe I just need to be a little bit thankful right now because if you're wise, you know it's not going to take much in your life to disrupt that peace. And it's maybe... Only by the grace of God that today you find yourself in that upper peace category because we know stuff happens and anything can disrupt us and knock us down in life and steal and take that inner peace from us. So maybe if we find ourselves feeling pretty good about where our peace level is at, maybe we can just be thankful for a second. And then when I think about the people maybe who are honest enough or at least willing enough to be vulnerable and say, I got... Super low peace right now. Just to say thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being willing to to mention that. And I'm really glad you're here today. I'm really glad that you're here today. That you got your butt up and got in here. Because if you don't have peace in your life, you can just sit there. And you can sit in it and let it eat you up and numb you out. Or you can say, I have hope. I have hope that maybe something will change. And so if you're on that lower part of the peace scale, thank you. Thank you for being with us this morning. And thank you for doing something about your situation. See, you and I, we need inner peace. Because if you have peace, you are a stabilizing force in the world. And if you don't have inner peace, you're just contributing to the chaos around you. Jeremy uh, Kubicek is the author of this kind of book that this series came out of, and he says this about our inner peace. I'm going to put up his quote from The Five Gears. He says, when you're not at rest on the inside, you cause unrest on the outside. And that just hits me, because I think it just makes sense. You've, you've probably heard it said a different way before, too, like hurting people hurt people. Right? You've probably heard that before. But I want to think about that as as if we don't have rest on the inside, what normally happens is we cause unrest on the outside. And so what we're shifting into with gear one is this sense of inner peace and stability and security that will allow us to be a restorative force in the chaos around us. We're looking to shift into an inner peace that can stand up against any kind of disruptor in our lives, because there's always going to be disruptors, right? How many of you felt maybe you had a disruptor in your life? And I'm just letting you define that right now, that you were disrupted. I was disrupted on Wednesday. I was coming into this staff meeting uh, uh, that we have on Wednesday morning. I was driving into work, and I live over on the square. I'm coming up by the Hallmark um, plant out there, and I'm coming up, and a, a dump truck started to swerve into my lane at an intersection, which very much disturbed my peace. Here I am trying to like, get ready for work. I'm like, trying to get my mood up. You know? It's like it's a Wednesday. You know how Wednesdays are. You know? They're just like, oh, right in the middle. Got to get going. You know? And so I'm driving into work, and I've got my radio up, and I'm driving right past that intersection, Liberty Hospital and Hallmark, and I'm getting ready to go through that intersection. And as I'm going through it, I don't know if that dump truck didn't see me or if he was trying to like, do the thing you know, where they judge when they can start turning at you you know that moment? And I just, he started to turn at me as I'm going through the inner like, oh, you know, and I'm pulling on. I was like, whoo! that is a disruptor. That is a peace disrupting moment that I had this week. You've had your peace disrupted too. Maybe that was a person that you work with and just gets under your skin. Maybe that's a child who gets further under your skin. <laughs> they do that. Maybe it's a financial thing, you know? Maybe it's, a, it's a, a thing of provision where you look at your bank account and it was not where it wanted to be and you had something break and you realize I got to fix it and whew, that started, that started that inner flutter, that inner sense of dread or anxiety. See, there's always going to be disruptors in our lives. They can be external, like the dump truck, the coworker, The neighbor but disruptors can be internal as well everything can look like it's going fine on the outside but all of us have a sense of inner guilt we have to work through we have a sense of inner shame we have feelings of loneliness we have feelings of isolation in our lives we have disruptors on the outside but we also have disruptors on the inside. Where's your biggest disruptor coming from right now? Is it an external or is it an internal? Are you aware of where the biggest disruptor is in your life? See, if we want a peace that can withstand the disruptors, if we want a foundation that can withstand the storms that we feel on the outside, but also something that can help us withstand the storms on the inside, We have to look to the Bible, which gives us a narrative of how we are created and what we need to function as humans in this world. One of the things that has helped me um, form a relationship with the Bible is looking at it kind of like you would look at an owner's manual from the car. Just like we talk about cars and transmissions and you need to put oil in your car, right? Or things start grinding. Is what the Bible has done for me in my life is it's giving me a sense of my own design, how I'm created, God's design for what healthy living looks like so that if I follow its design for my life, my life is more well balanced and I have a greater sense of inner peace. And so when we look at the Bible and we look at what it says for functioning in this really hard, grinding culture and grinding world, is we need rest and we need recharge. That these are really the two practices, the two things we need to work on, incorporate, execute in our lives to have that functional ability to shift into gear one, which is inner peace. So I want to look at rest and recharge. And so with the practice of rest, what I want to do is I want to look at Genesis at the very beginning of how we're created Because, again, if if this is an owner's manual, just like our cars have an owner manual that tell us how often we need to change the oil, how often we need to change the transmission fluid, how often we need to rotate the tires, because that car has a design, we have a design. And we can find God's intent for our design in how he created us and how this is recorded. And so in Genesis' very beginning, what the Bible does is it starts off trying to give us an understanding of who God is, what the world is, and our place in the world. That's what it's trying to do in the very beginning. a lot of us get caught up in the science of it, right? Like all those big, was it seven literal days? Or how does that how does that work with the fossil record, right? Like where are the dinosaurs at, man? For a second, just put that on pause. We can talk about dinosaurs on a different Sunday, okay? But just start with the idea that God just wants to start Our relationship with him with and and, in Genesis with this concept of who he is how he made us and, and who we are in relation to him in the world and so what Genesis 1 mostly does is this it's this kind of poetic kind of crazy account of God forming matter out of nothing okay that God as this hovering force Hovering over this this unformed world and giving it form, giving it order, giving it design. And so he makes the stars and the moon. I heard this crazy the other day on Twitter. I saw this, and it was that did you know that our moon is one four hundredth of the size of the sun? That seemed a little off, but then it said also that also our moon is one four hundredth of the distance. From us as it is for earth so we are the only known planet moon sun combination in the universe where our sun appears as exactly the same size as our moon in the sky the only known combination in our entire universe where the sun and the moons appear as the exact same size in the sky and i thought that was wild but what you get is a god who's creating things and finally he creates all the animals and all the waters and all the plants all the birds, and then he creates humans, okay? And then in Genesis 1, 31, God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation so he rested from all his work And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. What I find so, I think, astounding is if we look into it, if we kind of read what's going on, is is here we have an unlimited being limiting himself. You catch that? If we read this again a little bit, I'll just kind of highlight it. It says, God finished his work and so he rested from all of his work. You and I when we get tired, you feel a need to rest, don't you? At some point you feel like, "Ooh, I'm worn out. I am done." I can remember um, last spring, getting into spring, we're getting ready to do like flower bed season, right? You know, like they're getting ready to do some work. I'm going to have to get that mulch. I remember coming home one day and we had this flower head bed that was kind of like disintegrated. But it like it was made out of like old brick and mortar, right? It needed to be upgraded, but I wasn't ready to upgrade it yet. But there was another family member of mine that was ready to upgrade it, and so, so I came home and it had been um, degraded, so that I could upgrade it. <laughs> it was like, all right, today I'm going to Lowe's, and I'm getting about 80 of those like brick, you know, like those landscaping pavers. I'm getting 80 of those, and so I had to load up my car, you know, like get them on a pallet, carry them over, load them up, throw them in the car, take the car home, get all these pavers, 80 stone pavers, carry them all the way back to the backyard, and begin my first ever job doing masonry. (laughs) Never done masonry before, but today, that day was the day that we were figuring out how to do masonry work. I was tired afterwards. I would expended an energy mentally. I'd never, how am I going to put... How much am I gonna need? I gotta do math. Ugh. I gotta figure out square footage, all this stuff, and then I gotta go get it, and then I gotta put it together. Like, I was tired. I hit a wall. Do you think God hits a wall? I don't know. Just whatever concept of God you bring into it. I don't even need you to come into this concept with a Christian view of God, okay? I would love it if there's people here today that are just willing to say, I don't know that I believe in the Christian view of God. I believe in a higher power. I believe that there there had to be some kind of intelligent design that made the sun and the moon appear the exact same size in our sky. I have to believe in that because there's just too many coincidences in this creative world to think that there's not a bigger power driving things here. But if you're not bought into the Christian concept of who God is or who Jesus was, man, I'm so thankful you're here today. So we can just talk about this. So I don't care what concept of God you have. Let's just start with just this basic understanding. is, If there is a God, do you think he has limits on him? If he, if he really did create our entire physical universe out of nothing, how limited do you think he is? I don't think he is limited. Yet what we see in our, the very beginning of our account of humanity... God choosing to put limits on himself and saying, you know, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna rest. Why would he do that? I think it's because he's a really good father, which is what the later of the accounts and what Jesus specifically gets to when he calls, Jesus is gonna ask us to address God as father. What a really good father does is he he sets a behavior, a model for behavior. He shows his children how they need to behave so they can imitate his behavior. And so God created us, humanity, his children, with limitedness in mind. We are designed with limitedness, yet we live in a world that has never pushed unlimitedness like ever before. Think about what you hold, or it's on a stand here, like how unlimited this device is. Like, I can literally get on here and scroll and never get to the end. (laughs) There's no end. (laughs) You can just do this all day and never run out of days of scrolling. We've never lived in a world that has pushed us to ignore our limited design. Because now we work at home, right, a lot of us. And so that boundary of work, not work has just been dissolved and erased. Um, The concept of hours, we've moved past, you know, an agrarian society where the sun sets and tells us it's time to sleep. We work nights, we have a whole economy set up around being able to get anything you want at any given time, especially if you need it two days free prime shipping, right? Like, the unlimitedness. And it's like, does that jive? What do you think? Do you think we're supposed to live unlimited lives? Or do you think you're designed with limitedness in mind? I was reading the story about Sam Bankman Fried or Freed. Freed. You guys know this? Who knows the name Sam Bankman Fried? Heard it? He was a, he's a guy who just got arrested and extradited to the US. I think it was last fall. And uh, he was a CEO of a big tech company, and that's when, like, the crypto market, like, crashed. (laughs) Like, it was like, oh, my gosh, where'd my imaginary money go? Except it's not imaginary, and some of you know that right now. I'm sorry for you, right? (sighs) But the thing that blew me wasn't that he stole about, or allegedly, allegedly stole maybe around $10 billion. The thing that really pushed what I'm about to say home about this whole limited nature and stuff is... I read an article about the onboarding process he created for his employees. That is, at his employees would come, they'd be hired, they would go through an onboarding process with him where he would counsel them in the use of stimulants so that they could be more productive in life. And so he would counsel them on how you could use nicotine patches and different prescription drugs to keep you awake longer so that you could get the most work hours in. That's crazy to me. But I mean, I'm on my second or third cup of coffee right now, if you can't tell. What is it about us that we try to live an unlimited life? Why don't we feel a respect and an awareness of the nature that we are created with? You see, you and I, we're created to find and know and experience and practice rest, it's a part of who we are. It's, it's what God's designing us to see about ourselves. It's, it's why the Bible um, starts with rest, really, in, in, a, in a way. It's if you're going to start at the very beginning, if you pick this up and you say, you know what, I'm just going to flip to the beginning, what does it say? It says, your design, you have a design, and you're designed to have rest. That God himself, who is unlimited, chooses to place a limit on himself so that he can be your good father and model good behavior for you but we push, and we push, and we push. See, I think if we want to practice real rest or figure out how to shift into that gear one inner peace, we absolutely, positively have to look at Jesus. We have to look at Jesus, Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God's son who was there in our formation. The Bible claims something really crazy that there's this Trinity God, the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And somehow, some way, they were all a part of our formation. And so if we wanna observe real rest, we've got to look at Jesus. And so I'm gonna read to you, um, I'm gonna pull it up here in my Bible, and we're gonna put it up there on the screen. I wanna read to you Matthew 11:28. 28. Matthew 11:28 28 is a piece of scripture where Jesus, is speaking to a weary, worn out people. A people that have been ground under oppression. They went through 400 years of slavery in Egypt and then they were in this land and then they got hauled away into exile. Like, There's a lot going on, but these people are tired. And this is what Jesus says to them. In verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. (coughs) Some of you guys have heard that before, right? Some of you haven't. And if you haven't, I want you to lean into these words especially. I'm going to read them again just very quickly, just very softly. If you've never heard these words of Jesus, I want you to listen to them again right now. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Hmm. Do you know what a yoke is? Who knows what a yoke is? Not an egg. Some of you put your hands down. A yoke is a device used on a beast of burden to control it and direct it, okay? To control it and direct it to keep it harnessed so it can't break away and to tell it where to go what controls us and yokes us and i believe jesus is speaking about this what controls us and yokes us more than anything else is our need to prove ourselves our need to prove that we are worthy in this world, that we matter, that we are valuable, that we deserve to be loved. We have something inside of us, something we were created with, something that's a part of our design to know that we are loved, valued, and worthy no matter what. But instead of developing a right relationship with Jesus, because a lot of us don't really even, like we might have grown up in church, but man, didn't it go in one ear and out the other? So it's not until we get a little older, we get a little more reflective, that we start to wonder, what is this whole Jesus thing about, really? There's a lot of, a lot of Christian churches, a lot of crosses dotting our countryside here. But what does that mean for me at a super personal and intimate level? Do I really believe in in a higher power? Do I really believe he came down to this earth, healed people, brought people back from dead, died himself, and then somehow got up from the grave and all of his followers wrote this? So we don't grow up, I think. I think it's later in life that we start to figure out what does it mean to have a right relationship with Jesus. But in that time, in that gap, before we start to contemplate and reflect and try to figure out what it means to live in a right relationship with Jesus, we've become so yoked and controlled and directed by other strategies of life, other ways of getting value and worth, because we all have that inner need. We need peace. To live peaceless is to just have your soul be constantly torn asunder. To be ripped up, to feel like you're being ripped apart, that's awful. You have a longing for peace because that's what God longs to give you. That's what God wants for you. That's what comes from learning to to live in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But a lot of times we don't get to that later in life. And so by the time we get there, we are yoked, we are burdened with other strategies for getting our worth of value in life. We yoke ourselves to people. We yoke ourselves to places. We yoke ourselves to positions and purposes, thinking that if we perform well enough to meet some kind of external standard, then we'll get peace. Once I hit this goal, once I get this paycheck, once I get my house fixed up like this, once I get these relationships to work, once I get this person to love me, once I have my kids go to college, then I'll get the peace I need. But it's a trap. That kind of thinking's a dead end. Meeting external standards is never going to give you lasting inner peace because there's always another standard to live up to. There's always another standard to live up to. That's why I think um, for our younger generations that have grown up with this thousand dollar computer in their pocket that we say, good luck, here you go. Have unlimited access to everything you want. That's why I think there is so much anxiety and depression in the younger generations, and we see it scaling up because of the standard of comparison. Social media may be single handedly responsible for the increase of anxiety and depression in our young people today, and it's awful. Because how would you, and I think we got to have compassion and empathy for them. Because how does it feel to constantly be online? And being told that you're not good enough and comparing yourself to other people and other places that are doing better than you and look better than you and say cooler things than you that's awful i think another reality that we have to face is that even if you decide you're gonna be hard right you're gonna be real tough and not let anybody tell you what to feel about yourself right like you're not gonna you know you don't care about anybody else's standard for you it doesn't matter I got thick skin, okay? But even if you decide to try to live that way, a hardened life, you're always going to let down yourself. There's always going to be an internal standard you cannot live up to. Maybe that's how you parent or how you spouse or how you you know, you just look at yourself and you just feel disappointed. trying to live up to our external standards is a dead end, and so is trying to live up to our own internal standards. The endless pressure of meeting external standards of others or meeting our own standards that we set for ourselves is a burden that crushes our soul. And that's what Jesus is trying to call us out of in this, this system of self-salvation. You have a way, you have strategies that you are yoked to, where you're trying to save yourself. To give yourself an inner worth and an inner value that lets you sleep at night. And so you look to your relationships to save you, you look to your work to save you, you look to your parenting ability to save you, you look to your own personal squad goals to save you, all right? But Jesus is saying none of that can save you. None of that is going to give you the lasting peace you were created for. So as Jesus is is speaking this Matthew 28, 30, what he's really saying is is cast off the burden of trying to prove your own worth. The yokes you've connected yourself to for feeling worthy cannot save you. Only my yoke, only my way, can give you the rest your soul longs for. Come to me, follow me, let me teach you my way of cultivating inner peace and inner rest so that you can feel healthy and flourish the way my Father and I created you to. I am going to let myself be crushed on a cross so that you can be free from the crushing of this world. Practicing rest means turning our attention and our mind to Jesus, turning our feelings and our emotions towards Jesus turning our physical bodies to Jesus by stopping what we're doing to be a human doing or human being not a human doing right did you know that the expected global cost of mental health problems on the global economy is going to be about 16 trillion by 2030 that's lost work, direct lost work, or that's the direct cost of healthcare services, prescription, like all that. That's all the cost, plus also lost productivity. $16 trillion by 2030. Why is it we think we can throw money and time at problems to solve them versus doing what it takes to prevent them? That's what this rest thing is all about. It's taking the time to say I'm created in such a way that I have to practice rest before the bigger problems that I'm ignoring blow up in my life. God is adamant all through the Bible that we must take responsibility and do whatever it takes to find rest, to put rest in our lives, and live according to the way he designed us. And so you might, in fact, I'll say you probably need to talk with somebody that you're close with and evaluate if you are living with the appropriate amount of rest in your life or not. One of the things we would love to provide for you to do, and again, it's, a, it's another reason to have the app, is we have a section that has some diagnostic questions for you. And so if you go to the Five Gears portion of our app and you open up the Gears One weekly guide, in there we have put some warning signs. So, it's like a diagnostic checklist of, am I healthy in gear one? Do I have an inner sense of health or peace? And so you can check the box. You can have a conversation with someone uh, when you leave today or this week, warning signs for an unhealthy gear one. You can also have some reflection questions and some keys for getting back to a healthy gear one. There's also that peace assessment index there too, where you can check out and say, like, am I healthy right now or am I not? What I want to do right now is to recognize that for some of you, this might be the only time of real rest you get all week. That we lead those busy lives. We're yoked and chained to those busy lives. It takes practice to take that yoke off of ourselves and put on the yoke of Jesus. And so I just gonna, we're just gonna spend maybe the last 10 minutes here giving you some rest, asking you to enter in rest with each other. And so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to pray kind of a, a centering prayer, kind of this prayer that just asks you to relax and breathe and hear the words of Jesus. And, and I'm just going to want you to sit and listen and just receive those words. Just try to not think, of, not think about work, not think about the things that you carried in this morning, whatever you carried on your back this morning. I just want you to imagine yourself lifting that off and setting it aside. And then we're going to play a a meditative, contemplative video again. And I just want you to sit in it. You don't have to do anything, but just practice resting right where you're at. And then finally, we're going to have our music team come up, and they're going to play a song called The Blessing. And again, I just want you to sit there and receive the blessing that's going to be sung over you. So if you guys would pray with me right now. Here we go, breathe, relax. And hear Jesus say to you, you have nothing to prove. I love you because I love you. Come to me. Let me put my arm and my protection around you. That is the way you can find an inner rest that no one and no thing can take away. You don't have to be a people pleaser because your worth doesn't come from making other people happy. You don't have to work endlessly to pay for stuff that can't fill your soul because your joy doesn't come from your physical environment. Your bank account isn't your worth. Your financial debt isn't your destiny. Your physical home is not your heaven. It's okay. You can be stuck in your job. You can fail in your job. You can not have a job at all because your primary purpose and design is to live in and recreate and restore love in this world, not to build up your own status. If you are sick or damaged or broken or lame don't lose hope your physical or mental or emotional health is not what defines you or gives you a sense of worth I love you because I love you be still and know that I am God